So calling people to evangelization is not calling people to a warm and fuzzy feeling. The evangelist has to be prepared to be crucified. That's how you know you're an evangelist. That's how you know you're preaching the gospel. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by Dave, no friends, no fear, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? That's not what my sweatshirt says. What does it say? It was so is wrinkly. It that, I, is, I, I, I thought you would laugh so hard when you saw it, because it, it, my sweatshirt just says, no friends, fewer and fewer enemies. That's all it says. <laughs> no explanation or anything like that. <laughs> oh, that's the heart of evangelization. I know. Isn't it so funny? Isn't that so funny? I have, oh, man. I, there's a company that I get a lot of free shirts from, but it's, it's a questionable message <laughs> this company has. <laughs> and one of the shirts that I have, and I they just fit me perfectly. I love them so much. And one of the shirts says it's some, something to the effect, I don't know the quote exactly, even though I wear it on my back three three out of five days a week, uh, <laughs> that it says uh, civilized men, wait, are yeah, civilized men are more discourteous than savages because they are, they live in a society where they know they cannot have their skulls split as as a result of speaking their their truth or something like that something like that to that effect you know you live in a weird world my friend you live in a weird world <laughs> uh how are you what's, you what's be- going on with you I, what is going on with me uh you're I'm at, back work at work at we're early yeah and in, in a tie and everything yeah so i uh started exodus 90 today today is january 4th when we record wow, this good for god you. bless our, everyone just say a prayer for our podcast editors and producers that i know they, they always tell us hey please get it to us a week in advance i was no, like how about a day but we are gonna so, get uh, it we are gonna do it one of these weeks one day, one day. we do it like every so often and yeah. then we skip a week because our life is hell but um i uh kind of collapsed uh over this break mentally and emotionally from work i whoa I think that we've been going so hard and having to bear so much weight on staff of like leadership team, all this like craziness going on and all the like negativity. I was thinking about this the other day. Someone was telling me about they got criticized or something they did. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, it really hurt my feelings. I was like, what? Like, and I didn't realize really since I started catching foxes, but you, you know, this show catching foxes, the stuff I do for my parish. And then now, because I'm just such a visible person at my parish, everything wrong with the Catholic Church becomes an email that's sent to me, deriding me for not being, not saying this, not doing that. And uh, for a while, it was people on the right. Before that, it was people on the left. And I'm like, I, I feel like a, a man with no country. But um, I, I've realized, looking at my life right now, like there are certain things that I've had to rise to the occasion, right? And I really do believe I have done that in certain respects. But it came at a big uh, emotional toll that I wasn't paying attention to. And it really hit me um, when I went off for Christmas break, right? I had two weeks more of vacation that I was able to take at the end of the year to use it or lose it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, am I going to have enough hours? Oh, I could double it and still have enough hours. Um, and I so I took off the two weeks straight. Um, and yikes, man, I like I did nothing but be with my family. And I know that sounds like, oh, you're such a good father. I couldn't even stomach the fact, the thought of opening an email. 
And even one day I came into right. the office just to be present for about four hours. And because you know, I was the only director, you know, and all this stuff and our priests all got re-locked down with COVID again and all this. stuff. So it was on Christmas Eve. So it was all shenanigans. Oh, but um, so I just wanted to have some sort of visible presence with my staff. And I, I couldn't even open email. I couldn't even do it. I, I was just meeting with people and talking with people and shaking hands and kissing babies and make sure people were OK. And then I, I was reflecting a couple nights ago and I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I needed this break. I was like burning. Uh, yeah. burning out and so i'm happy that it came i'm scared of all the <laughs> work that i have waiting for me but today also started exodus 90 so i have a a great group of guys that i'm doing this with and my wife is doing it more or less 100 percent with me so i woke up early i did my hardcore workout which whenever i did exodus 90 in the past i didn't do the workouts and i never okay. went to adoration on campus i did my prayer at home and now i'm trying to make the like double commitment of Early morning workout and then adoration every day. So, hopefully, hopefully, doing this stuff uh, kind of keeps me on track. I don't know. Yeah, that's cool. That's uh, a. Yeah. It's cool that it starts today and everything like that. But, man, it's hard, huh? I mean, you're 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 in a you're in a tough position. It's funny how, like, parishes that have all the resources in the world, even even like parishes like yours, are struggling like crazy right now. You know. Yeah. With COVID. And, and the, and the hard thing is how COVID has trickled down. You know, we're in the oil industry where, you know, when the rest of the economy was suffering, we were booming. Right. And um, and and it, it came to a point where there was a a glut of hiring. They had too many employees. So then, you know, 2008, we were fine. 2010, 12, really, is when it hit the oil industry. And uh, I think I maybe made a comment about this, but now I'm in a community that has known large amounts of incredible prosperity during the Iraq Gulf War, high price of oil, and now it's knowing the pain of layoffs. Yeah. Because ExxonMobil moved their entire North American headquarters to my town. Yeah. yeah that's, and so that's you start crazy. to see, like, here's Exxon, here's Anadarko, here's Southwestern Energy, here's all of these, like, and my dad worked at Shell. And then, uh, which is down in Houston, but like now you're starting to see the the pain and now our collections are starting to see it. And so um, it's a really dangerous time for us. And I don't even, I don't even know how to navigate it when you have 300 high school freshmen. I don't have a building big enough to socially distance them in. So I'm back to that same problem. But, but me and you, I, I wanted to take a, I wanted to switch it up. I was trying to come up with something trendy, Dave. This is kind of embarrassing, but like, what do you mean? Top five resolutions to be a better evangelist in 2021. I hate and I everything that, actually, that you just said I, so much. I know. I want to burn it. It's because you're a BuzzFeed <laughs> fanatic. Um, no, but you, me, you and I started this. Or sometimes when we have these conversations, we have uh, we intro them before we hit record with like brutally honest conversation. Yeah, that can't necessarily be captured for a widespread audience because me and you have a lot of context and subtext that kind of goes back right uh honestly a decade in right. this regard with right. us but i i thought the stuff that you were saying is so important that it's very helpful for catholics to navigate and we don't have a 100 percent way of how we're gonna get through this episode but i think it's really important that we have this conversation yeah, yeah. and uh yeah yeah so you just intro it with your thoughts and, and we'll go from so there. so basically the what we're gonna do today is try to walk kind of the tight line of culture war versus evangelization. And I hate that phrase because I don't want it to be verse evangelization. I I want to integrate the two. And the reason this came up is I was I was expressing my um angst to to Gomer about a podcast I recently listened to of probably 
one of the most famous evangelists in the whole country. Probably the, I'm guessing. And you're talking about catching foxes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and um it was basically like about abandoning the culture war for the sake of evangelization. And you've heard I'm sure most people have heard this phrase before. Like people have heard this idea of like, look, if we really want to reach win the culture war, stop talking about abortion, stop talking about gay marriage, stop talking about these kinds of things, and just talk about Jesus. Just talk about it, just evangelize. And I think, like, in a laboratory, the theory holds, right? In a laboratory, it holds true that, like, look, the the quickest way to heal a culture is, is introducing people to Jesus Christ. But my problem is this, that it, it's similar to, like, the way um, the church ignored spiritual warfare for, like, the last hundred years. It's like, look, we're in the war. Like, it's not something that we get to decide on. The culture war isn't something that we've like hit the button, you know, and said like, okay, we're going to war with the culture. No, it's been encroaching on us for years and years and years. So this idea that we can just stop and get out of it is, is very problematic because what, what's going to happen in a sense, and, and I don't know anything about the military, but I'm guessing this is a thing. When you pull back your forces from something, you leave people behind. And I feel like that's what's happening with the faithful, particularly when bishops say things like this, like, uh, well, we got to abandon the culture war and take up evangelization. The problem is there's a lot of Catholics who don't understand yet that what what the church actually teaches about these, these absolute moral issues. I, I guess that's how I would set up. I would start the conversation, you know? Yeah. And so let me give you what I think is kind of the classical response to that which is uh and then we can kind of go from there because i think me and you overlap in a lot of areas in this regard and then we struggle i think not struggle uh we might disagree in certain areas so bishop baron um on one of his most popular youtube videos talked about the relationship between christian or preaching the gospel evangelization and morality and how because the culture is so adamantly opposed to christian morality Right. In so many different ways, the popular culture. Right. Sexual mores have been radically reduced. Um, Even things like bringing up stuff like modesty is seen as a male patriarchal oppression. And so you have all of these things that are aligning that even the issues that surround the issues that we wouldn't even say are moral. There might be pre-moral or or whatever. The context of a moral judgment aren't even their taboo. And so. The idea is it's it's more of a strategic thing than a pedagogical thing, which is uh, or an ontological thing, which is simply if you lead with Jesus, Jesus is the one that attracts them. So Bishop Aaron gave the famous baseball analogy. If you're going to uh, bring someone who's literally never heard of baseball, what is the first thing you do? You don't describe them the details of the infield fly rule. Right. You show them the game. You let them walk the bases. You let them touch the grass. You uh, let them swing a bat. Then you go and you watch a game and blah, blah, blah. And his idea of that was so many people want to because we as Catholics have a moral worldview and we see things like abortion and euthanasia and all this stuff. And we want to stop it because it is gravely immoral and unjust. Oftentimes, we're not getting people on board because we're leading with we're leading with these details when people don't have that same moral vision anymore. All right. Now right? let me, let me, yeah. let me intervene. Okay. Let me intervene. Yeah. All right. So sure, baby, 
So this is this is my issue with the baseball analogy, with Bishop Barron's baseball analogy. And and let me just say this. Bishop Barron's one of those guys, I, I it makes me lose sleep at night to disagree with him. I really like <laughs> Bishop Barron. Like he is he as far as theologically, I very much feel akin to him as far as like his affinity to the church fathers, you know, he anyways. His yeah. his love for Vatican II in an authentic way, I feel very much. But this baseball analogy, I feel like, falls short when you have actually been on the front lines of the culture war. And, I, and I'll tell you, mm-hmm. and I'll, and let me let me give you two examples. Okay, so when you've actually been at an abortion clinic, which you and I have both been there together many times, right? And you see this, right? You 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 wouldn't you wouldn't explain to them like. Like if someone's jumping off a bridge, you wouldn't like say like, oh, look at, look, here's a movie of like what, how beautiful life would be like right now. Okay. And I think that in my, in two instances, I get really upset with evangelists, but both, both things that I hear from famous evangelists, but also like comments in the for me intentional disciples forum. This happens a lot. And that is with abortion. Okay. And number two is with same sex attraction. Okay. Because I have been very closely involved with both of these ministries and have known men and women who literally have had their lives spiritually, physically, and mentally destroyed by both of these things, both of these things. So I don't, I feel like it's hard for us to say, okay, we have time to wait and we can expose them to the beautiful baseball game of life and all of these things. Now, what I want to say is this, when I'm personally evangelizing someone, absolutely, I, I I do that. There's no question. The problem is there is there are people who exist in pockets of the church and in in the world certainly who have never been told just the blatant truth, and I think that's problematic. That there there are literally kids, and I know them, who you know had some kind of a weird feeling right when they're going through puberty or something like that and they talk to a a a student counselor at school and the counselor says oh it's no big deal you're gay or something like that and they there's not a single person in their life speaking truth to that okay i think that becomes really problematic when like we're not speaking the truth and we're leaving people behind thinking like, okay, let's regroup and just introduce them to Jesus. Because in the meantime, like we're losing souls, hearts, minds, bodies. I mean, people are being ravaged by this. So I I I agree. I mean, I in theory, I agree. I think the problem is we have to walk that line between evangelization and and just teaching the truth. I one of the things that I've Seen, and I think that has kept me from the error of what we're talking about. And I do think okay. it's an error. I don't. I don't know what we. I, so I, let me just. Well, it's I've an error on before. either side, right? It's an yeah, error on either yeah. side, right? Exactly. And there has to be a via media here, a, right. a way of the middle that that right. retains the truth and and gets rid of the errors or excess. Do you know? Do you know who um, it is? Do you know who the way of the middle is? The via media. Pope John Paul II. I was, yes, I'm literally yes. staring at yep. his face right now when we'll you jump all the So the, the thing I would say is the thing that saved me from, let, let's just say, hiding controversial moral truths or the culture war or whatever, for the sake of evangelization, I read uh, Father Livio Molina's wonderful book, uh, Sharing in the Virtues of Christ, or Sharing in Christ's Virtues, um, when I was writing my senior thesis at Franciscan. 
And one of the things that they said is one of the reasons why we don't have good moral instruction is because priests and deacons hide behind the kerygma. And I remember reading that and it kind of shocked me because I felt like I'd never heard the kerygma. In mo- no, I shouldn't say never, but it, right. it's very rare to hear a systematic presentation, systematic organic presentation of the rigor and vigor of the gospel, right? And you start to hear that with what I just said, it's like straight JP2. And what you hear from that is uh, you hear pious platitudes and worn cliches and last minute, you know, priests just pulling stuff out of their heads as they're, you know, and that that's the average homily, right? You don't hear stuff that's practical. You don't hear stuff that changes your life. And you're not challenged with the gospel because the gospel is essentially challenging. The gospel for today, Monday, January 4th, Jesus goes to Zebulun and Naphtali, the land, people who sit in darkness. He goes deliberately there because they're in darkness. And what is the first thing he says to them? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you realize like Christ came with a challenging confrontational moral message because there was freedom on the other side. So I feel like I was preserved from that. Um, but even in the show, you can hear a bunch of, uh, you know, go back and listen to past episodes. I also talk about the, the wisdom of Reverend Timothy Keller's notion of the AB right. doctrine. Right. If the culture rejects B, but it accepts A, then you give them B on top of A, right? Like you give them the A. That's what it means to be winsome. You don't deny the gospel, but you have to be smart about it. You can't walk into a crowd of pro-choice at a pro-choice rally and expect to train change people's minds by shouting out them pro-life slogans right and we both know that and neither of us do that but the other thing is and this is a point i think you're making very clearly that i think needs to be doubled down on as people convinced and convicted of the message of the gospel we still have to fight the culture war yeah we still have to stand on the side of the babies and the elderly and the chronically or terminally ill we have to be there because what we are doing by allowing these things to continue unchecked without the truth is we are number one we're hiding the truth behind the kerygma and i would say then we're not really giving but i think it's tied to an even deeper thing not only are we losing souls not only are we losing lives but i think we do this we call it being winsome, but in reality, it's being a coward. That's what right? I think. That's what there I, is I think. I think it has more to do with fear. the determination of conscience. Right. Because if I were to come out and say, like, so for instance, just this morning, I was working out, doing some jazzercise. It was very intense <laughs> jazzercise. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was uh, in my garage. My dog my was day. there. It was beautiful. My day. Yeah. <laughs> just picturing that. Uh, but no, so I was working out in the morning, and I have a podcast going while I'm working out, and I was listening to Bishop Barron's top five um episodes he reviewed his top five youtube videos and i love i love word on fire but one of the things that they brought up was uh gay marriage and moral argument was one of his top videos and he says you know i don't even talk about gay marriage pro or con i talk about the breakdown of moral argument and his thing was no one is making an argument they're just asserting emotions which is a very important point to put out in the world but my thing was but no one's making the argument. Right. Like, no one is. I need to hear Literally the argument. Literally not, not a person. Right. Yeah. I, I, well, well, two laymen, Robert George right. and Dr. Patrick Lee, right. they wrote, it was funny, I heard this guy critique, you know, uh, they wrote this book on gay marriage, legal, you know, all this stuff. They're both Catholic, Catholic natural lawyers. Um, 
And this guy said, you know, it's not like everyone's buying this book. And then my buddy said, you know, that was the most before it was a book. It was an article published yep. in a Harvard Law Review, and it was the most downloaded article in uh, it might be even the law review history, certainly within the last 10 years. And so it is hitting the culture. It is getting out there. But people don't think about these things. And we are and I'm, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I know that when I'm talking to liberals. I'm talking to progressives. I'm talking to people who, uh, you know, are hardcore, whether it's Me Too or Black Lives Matter, whatever it might be, that are generally considered movements on the left. I know that there's a whole bunch of minefields called Catholic morality. Right. And even saying things like the family, right, right, right. is offensive to them. But you can't separate the family from the gospel. You can't. No. And for people to not want to talk about this stuff. Now, I'm not saying you have to talk about this stuff all the time. And that's where I think maybe we can go yeah. with this conversation. With but. a nuance. Well, yeah. okay. Well, let, let, let's bring up something even a little bit more controversial. Because with abortion, it's so black and white. But wait, wait, to your point, before we move on from that. Like raising kids, of course, we, we're introducing them to Jesus. There's no question. But we give them rules. And they know clearly the rules of life. And the problem is... We have not been good about teaching the rules. We just haven't. We're not. We j- we have not been good at that, you know. And so it's it's unfair to say like, okay, we're going to abandon any teaching of the rules, you know, uh, yeah. for for that. Yeah. But I'll, t- I'll tell you an experience that um, I still get sick to my stomach when I when I think about it, and and it made me so angry. I had to like kind of just separate myself a little bit. But it was in one of the evangelization forums. And I don't remember what the article they posted was, but it had to do with um, pronouns, like uh, personal pronouns, like what is your, what's the phrase, like your um, uh, preferred? Yeah. Pref- yeah, what's your preferred pronoun? Pronoun, okay. Yeah. Um, and somebody who's an evangelist, uh, or at least who's part of this evangelist forum said, use whatever they prefer because that's what they want and they want to be called that. So like if they want to be called gay, then use gay. If they want to be called queer, then use queer. If they, you know, those kind of things. Okay. I, it literally, it like, it felt like someone was punching me in the stomach because the men and women who I have worked with and have known and have become close friends with, like, it hurt them so bad. Those personal pronouns hurt them so severely in their life that it was like offensive to me. And that to me, it seems like a crazy way to err towards evangelization where mm. we're literally going to call them by their sin at that moment, you know? And I know, I know, don't, don't get me wrong. We have to walk a fine line here, you know? And I think that fine line is being walked by several organizations where they just don't, they avoid it all together completely. Yeah. But the idea that like, no, you 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 build that friendship and that trust by using the pronoun that they want, I, I can tell you, not hundreds, but I can tell you so many stories of men who never even considered themselves gay or whatever until someone said, oh, you're gay. And so like to call them that just affirms them in that lifestyle. And it literally men who can hardly function biologically now because of the life they lived you know, yeah. it's just it's sad. It's and I get I get upset. About and, it. and I and I do. OK, so. What do you do when you're in an office environment and oh. the, your corporation requires you to say, see, that's your pronouns okay. under your signature? Do you know what? You I know? bet that's what that person. See, I was judging yeah. that person. I bet that's what they were talking about. Yeah, I, think I that's was what, thinking- I think I vaguely remember what you're talking about. But even if you're if even if you're at a bar and you're hanging out with people. 
right? Yeah. And someone's like, oh, I'm not, don't call me she or her, call me they, which is one of the most common things now is you use the plural third person, which oh, it makes no sense, right? right? And you, are a, right. you are one person. However, and, and, it's, and it's tied to a very clear anti- Right. Anti- uh, Western civilization message right. of of the of all this new postmodern post post postmodern deconstruction blah blah blah. There's some really good stuff in postmodernism. Some really good stuff with deconstruction. That's good that we need to hear that we need to understand. And no one does it better than Bishop Barron right. when talking about the positive side of those things. That being said, right, like <laughs> there are elements of this that are antithetical to Christian belief, and we then this is the part I think of the evangelists. We become liars. And this is the dangerous thing because we're misrepresenting yeah. Christianity. Yeah, we are. To a certain point. Now, I don't know. And this is where prudence comes in as a virtue because you have the law, right? You have the command, and then you have the application of the command. And that's where the difficulty comes in. That's why we need the virtue of prudence. I don't know how to navigate when, like, if if someone said, if I worked at a, a oil company and they said, hey, use your pronouns in your thing, you know, I, you know, I would, I would put my pronouns and then... Uh, I I don't know how I would even go about navigating that, right? Because I don't, because I work for a church and I live in Texas. Yeah. But I don't know how how to take that next step because I know I would shut them down from evangelizing, but at the same time, they would know why there's a problem. It's right. because of my Christian beliefs, and I'm not misrepresenting my Christian beliefs. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's where my struggle is. Yeah, I think like when I was in when I was in third and fourth grade, my I had my sisters as teachers. And rather than refer to them as Mrs. Telepack and Mrs. Van Bickle, I was just I would just not ever say their name ever, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is terrible. So you, you just learn people's names. I mean, it's not that hard. But but anyways, I, I know it's more nuanced than what, what I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, but I, I will, I'll tell you an example of a time in my life where I failed so many times on this, like just over and over again failed. Okay, there was one particular abortion clinic in Dallas that I. I spent probably more hours at than any other in the in the country, and it was it, the way it would work is like there was no parking lot, so they would walk a long time down the street, and you'd have time to walk with them and everything like that. And um, and it was also like for some reason this the way the schedule worked is like they would go in, check in, and then it would be like about two hours before they would have an abortion, and then three hours by the time they were walking out, basically. Okay, so. And, and they're super nervous, so they're coming out to smoke constantly. So you'd have like two hours to try and reach some of these people, like because they'd come out to smoke, you know, and you'd, you'd, you'd approach them again. And there were so many times where I thought, you know what, I, I can like play the friend game here. You know, I can like, hey, you want a cigarette or I can do that and I can I, I have time to do that here and kind of play that that role of like trying to build up friendship. But you literally saw the time ticking. You know, yeah. and the yeah. ticking down and down and down. And it wasn't that it wasn't real. It's just like, what, what could I do? And then, and then one day I, I realized like, man, like if, if I was really treating these people like friends and not projects, if this were really a friend of mine, I would be desperately trying to save them from the mistake that they're about to make because of how awful, you know, what, what, how awful I've seen people walk out of there. You know, yeah. and so it really did change my mind. Now, now, let me let me ask you something. Okay, do you think it's possible that this is kind of a trendy 
Well, no, I shouldn't say this. I, I think like one of the reasons that like I, I and, and I think this political cycle has like brought this up for me. And I have like three friends who are well-known Catholic intellectuals who are on the far left. Or not far left, but on the left, you know? And yeah. um and by friends I mean they're like Facebook friends or something like that. I, I don't know them well. But you know, we we have we have good conversations and everything. And you know, they they say things about like Oh, all they care about is abortion or something like that. All they care about is this. Yeah. And I think like my first reaction is, oh, you've never actually been out to an abortion clinic because I was for so many hours and it was so horrific and so horrible that I would do anything almost, right? Anything moral to stop it. And yeah. I and I think that even like with, with like homosexuality and stuff like that, I have seen the heartache of men who, you know, like what well, I told you, like one of my, one of my good friends who I met on a plane, he, he lived, he lived the eighties in the Castro district of San Francisco. And, uh, wow. I mean, it was, the, it's the most horrific stuff you've ever heard in your life, you know, of just heartbreak and, and just emotional problems and everything. So I think I have an emotional reaction because I'm so close to them, but I also think there could be some of this that like, they don't really realize the gravity of the horror of these acts. I mean, do you think there's any of that there? I think that is, I think that's incredibly insightful because when I would go to the abortion clinics just to pray before you, you trained me to be a sidewalk counselor, yeah. um, which was the most terrifying day of my life. Uh, <laughs> the, the first, first time sidewalk Pittsburgh, counseling. Pittsburgh, honestly, is the worst place to start. Oh. Because they're scary. Yeah, out of the frying those, pan into the fryer. Those yeah, clinic yeah. escorts are scary. Yeah. But um, the... Well, okay. So I read an article not too long ago talking about why do conservative Supreme Court justices tend to vote liberal on these like huge issues, right. right? Right. And he called it the unwritten constitution. The unwritten constitution is the culture, the more liberal culture, right? That's approving of all of these things. And that doesn't want to argue these things. And I began asking myself, like, why is it? Why do people um, tend to view these things with uh, approval? And it, you even find this on the, uh, I guess you maybe you call them the far right or whatever, but uh, people who are hardcore G.K. Chesterton distributists. Right. One of right. the things they love, they sound no different than a Marxist when they criticize capitalism. Right. Because they love this distributed. And when I read them, I'm like, and I and I'll tell you, it's intoxicating. Oh, I know. To one of the reasons why I flirted really hardcore with distributism, not only because I have an ardent love affair with G.K. Chesterton, but um, but it, you can sound like not just a liberal but a radical. Oh yeah. In your condemnation of the monopolists and all this stuff, I think, and I so I started saying, why is the cultural left such appeal is so appealing? Well, one, it's destructive, not constructive. Everyone can get it get involved in the fight against the empire. But no one knows how to build their own republic, right? And I think that's really – I think it's real. It's easy to rally support for destruction of, any, of a bad thing than to build a good thing. The other thing is uh, it's appealing because it's carnal. It appeals to our carnality. Right, right. We create a culture that's ever more approving and condoning of a whole bunch of stuff. And we ignore the fact that these things are killing us. So, for instance, let's take it right back to the controversial stuff. There was a woman who uh, was just on Dave Rubin's show. I'm a big YouTube fanatic. And she is a 
100% supportive of the LGBT activism agenda, gay marriage, all of it, surgeries, all this stuff. She just said, you can't do this to young girls. You can't right. give them puberty blockers. You right. can't give them uh, mastectomies. You can't do this to 16-year-old girls. Why are And why are they running to transgenderism? And she wrote a book about this. And Target took her book off the shelves because it was transphobic and all this stuff. And it, it's fascinating how these things kind of reverberate throughout the culture. But this woman who is hardcore pro-gay marriage, pro-trans, pro-everything – is seeing this thing and it's destroying young girls. Right. And by just saying, hey, maybe we should rethink this, she's getting savaged. I think you and I, she witnesses it. I think she's a psychologist. She witnesses what it does, so she has to speak up. Right. When you don't witness what it does, right, when you don't see the heartache and the heartbreak on the other side, when you don't, like with me, a lot of my ministry now is with men and women who are lost in porn addiction. Right. Right. And when you don't, you don't speak. I talk all the time about the evils of porn addiction because I've seen what it does to marriages. Right. I mean, I I brought a you know a couple the husband into the church, and then six months later they were divorced because all these problems in their marriage he was trying to fix by becoming a better man, but it was the pornography. It was an affair of that he couldn't understand. If I said nothing because I wanted to win him to be winsome and said nothing about pornography. You know, I, I would just be I would be complicit in their destruction. So calling people to evangelization is not calling people to a warm and fuzzy feeling. The evangelist has to be prepared to be crucified. Right. That's how right. you know you're an evangelist. That's yeah, how you know you're preaching the gospel. Uh, yeah. I see. I love both your examples. Those those were both perfect examples of especially the distributism example because it works in a laboratory, right? But it, but yeah. like practically speaking, well, no, no, let me, let me, and and that is know, a, Dave, that is a diss me, to every give, distributist out there. Absolutely, if you I'm give telling every you, you're man crazy. three acres, if you give <laughs> every it. man three acres and a cow, I then I will sell it happy. and trade it immediately for whatever, <laughs> so that I can do that. Uh, the uh, oh, that's funny. All the Chesterton people are like, I'm done with this podcast. Um, but but I think your your example, uh, particularly of the the lady who said, you know, you can't do this. This came up one time, particularly with the culture war at my parish. Um, we were doing like a hot topics series, yeah. and you know the with contraception, like there were so many wonderful older Catholic couples who never used contraception, but they could not figure out why it was so bad. They just could yeah. not understand it. Like it, it just it, it couldn't get through to them why it was so bad until it was the time when that article about Tinder came out. Do you remember when that that one article about New York City and Tinder and what the hookup culture yeah, was the, like? I think it was a Vanity Fair article on yeah. the apocalypse of dating. Yes, that was it. Like that. that was it. Yeah. That was it. I printed that article out and had them all read it. And they were so horrified by the hookup culture that it was finally what they were like, oh, right, because it has no consequences at all. When you have contraception, there are no moral or, you know, in your mind, there are no consequences to this. And, and, and they realized, you know, it was finally that. So they kind of saw the horror of it. But I, I think that there is something to do with that. Like I, I remember, um, do you remember the the, the debate when um, uh, who was Lila Rose was um, exposing Planned Parenthood by they would like dress up as like a couple or something. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. this? Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. a bunch of philosophers came out and they fought about like, well, is she lying? Is it wrong? Is it? Yeah. And I remember like purely passion 
fueling me to be like, it doesn't matter. Just get rid of Planned Parenthood. You know what I mean? Like do whatever you have to, because I've seen the horror of it. And I think on both sides, that can be part of it. You know, like anyways, this is, this is a, you know, what I would say is if we're going to give something practical to take away is you just, you can't abandon either. You have to hold both. Like you have to hold both. that's what the the kind of the patron saint of modern evangelization did. JP two right. wrote the gospel exactly. of life, Evangelium and Vitae, right? Redemptoris. Yeah, Missio. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mission how many how many redemptories did he write? Right. Like right. the Redeemer of Man, right. the mother of the Redeemer, right? All this stuff. Like he understood in a profound way the the way culture relates to evangelization. Right. The whole idea of the new evangelization is to go after post-Christian cultures because you go after them differently than you go after pre-Christian, pre-Christian cultures. And that's why he wrote a document on missions because and it was specifically about the mission agendas to the nations that have never heard of Christ and catechesi tridende and all this stuff to to do the new evangelization to people who have heard of Christ, but have been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and it's not life-changing. And one of the things that he exclaimed was, we have failed to give people the full rigor and vigor of the gospel. I think this episode needs to be a gut check for evangelists. That yes, we do have to not, uh, what a major in the minors. We do need to not, uh, we need to be aware of how our passions and arguments and all of these things can trump and usurp the actual preaching of the gospel to someone who needs to hear that Christ loves them and died for them. But at the same time, we also have to do a gut check and realize that we cannot hide what Christ is calling us to repentance because we're denying them. I've said this before. We're denying them an opportunity to repent. We're denying people freedom from sin. Even if it's not imputed to them as guilt, it's still destroying their life. You know, even if they act out of pure ignorance, it's still destroying. It's sin. It's still painful, even if it's not imputed. Amen. Amen. I think that's perfect. I think uh, just my closing thought would be this, that, you know, we've pointed to Pope John Paul as kind of like the example par excellence. Um, And I would point to one document in particular that I think will help you to understand how to walk the line. And that is Veritati Splendor, because yeah. in Veritati Splendor, he gives the greatest, you know, amazing, amazing argument for the idea of that there can be something that's true, right? True and good, right? Absolute truth. But then he says that that truth is a person, right? It's Jesus Christ. And and it it is the most inspiring, but also intellectually stretching document, because it it, it is. It has both in hand perfectly... Um, dovetailed together of uh the evangelization side and and speaking to the the culture war and and again i want to remind you for those who think that like we can just i mean the culture war it we're being attacked it's not that we've started it we are being attacked and so uh, we have to engage in it in some way can't give it up yeah that's true that's so true all right this has been a different show and i think every so often we need to have these shows we are still planning on doing our series on the priesthood and its relationship to evangelization and discipleship we got um a lot of things kind of coming down the pike that hopefully pipe pipe uh that hopefully can help you as a catholic in 2021 become the greatest evangelist your best life now always (laughs) oh that is nobody (laughs) can do it we can do it I know, I know. Uh, Dave, what do you think we should do? How should we? How should we give the people something practical? 
Uh, now, we, you know what? Here, number one, rate us and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We need to do that call to action. I haven't done that in a while. I've been asking for your emails. We got a handful of really good emails that we're going to plow through. Um, even some of the thank you emails have opened up my eyes to a lot of areas where the church is suffering and and, yep. and growing. Um, but w- head on if you were listening to us on Stitcher, on iTunes, whatever, go find out how to rate a, uh, a podcast. And if you like the show. Please make an effort to rate and review it. Um, uh, five stars only. Five stars <laughs> only. Uh, <laughs> I think that'd be a huge blessing for us. Except for all the distributists right now, we're gonna go and give <laughs> yeah. us. The- oh, but yeah, three th- acres and a cow is perfect. Yeah, yeah, that that would be a huge blessing. And and also, I guess my one practical takeaway would be take a look at Veritati Splendor. Um, it it's not. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's accessible to anyone. Um, yep. and, and you can get through it and it's very inspiring. Very inspiring. Alrighty. Thanks to the fine folks over at Ascension Press that have to deal with us. God bless y'all. And we will see you here next week. <laughs>